Hi everybody, my name is Warren Perry. I'm the curator of this small exhibition, Echoes of Elvis. And we're sure glad to see you guys here tonight. And uh, I was kind of hoping with the warming spell we'd get a few more folks out. I spent the afternoon at Haynes Point uh, golfing and a fox ran right across the golf course. It was really far out. It was really a far out afternoon. So welcome to our tribute to Elvis on, his, on the occasion of his 75th birthday. And what I'd kind of like to do, since uh, we've got a nice crowd in here, is just kind of briefly tell you about the mission of uh, this, this exhibition, and then we'll talk specifically about the Arneson piece here. What we wanted to do with this show was to pay tribute to Elvis on his 75th birthday. Now, this body of art is not by any means representative of the body of art that has happened along since Elvis's death. A lot of that artwork is, um, I guess the best word is mean-spirited. There's a lot of mean-spirited artwork out there. What we wanted was some fun stuff, some things that paid tribute to the king. This is Elvis's Caesar by Robert Arneson, on loan to us from the Hirshhorn. This is really a far-out piece of work, isn't it? It's a monumental sculpture with things that work all over it. You've got the guitar emblazoned on his chest, the singing Elvises, and then in the spirit of rock and roll, we've got a rock on his shoulder stamped with King. I guess we can uh, infer that Arneson is, in, is saying to us, Elvis was the King of Rock. One of the docents last week pointed out to me, which I couldn't see the first time I saw this piece, it was on a pallet on the ground and my body doesn't work like this. I couldn't bend over very well and see it, but as you stand up, if you get close behind it, and you don't want to touch it, you can see that Arneson put a heart in the back of it and on this side. On this side, there's actually a hound dog that's kind of carved into it, into the glaze a little bit as well. It's a fun piece, and on the pedestal, you have stamped the names of some of the songs Elvis sang on his last concert tour. There's even, I'm certain, a well-intended uh, well splash of pink right here in the glaze. Arneson studied in, he's a son of California, he was born in 1930, and he studied in California and received MA, uh, BA and, and MFA degrees. He taught at, at the University of California, Davis from 1960 until... Uh, just before his death in 1992, he battled cancer from 1975 forward, and cancer is ultimately what took him down. Arneson was um, the leader of the funk art movement in the early 1960s, and you see in his work, and there's another good example of his work upstairs in Smithsonian American Art, these, these tributes that are also at times parodies. There's a lot of humor in his work. And I think, we can, uh, I think we can see that going on here as well. There's nothing small about Arneson's work. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Elvis. One of the questions that I've gotten over and over again over the last week is why Elvis? What is the appeal of Elvis? And I can't, I can't nail it down to a single thing. I, I think if we went around the room there would be a different answer from just about everybody. The fact that he was an, amazing, uh, an amazingly good-looking guy, 
you know, that doesn't do anything but mitigate his situation. <laughs> his singing, he could cross three octaves with the singing, which is a feat for any musician whose voice is his instrument. He also had this going for him. He was just a good guy. Rags to riches. He was born in Tupelo in 1935. His family had no money. His dad went to prison for forging a check. And he, he loved his mom. They fought their way out of poverty. By the time Elvis was 21, he never had to worry about money ever again. He lost his mom the same year he joined the Army in 1958. Because of the fact that he, that he went to the Army in the middle of his career, endeared him to a lot of people, kind of like some of our ballplayers who sacrificed their careers at the, at the pinnacle of their careers in World War II, like, um, like our other hero, Glenn Miller, who actually went down crossing the English Channel in World War II. Elvis did his patriotic duty. He served his time. Another thing that you have to consider when you consider Elvis is Colonel Tom Parker. Now, the colonel was an old-fashioned carnival kind of guy, but he knew how to promote. And the model, the marketing model that the colonel put in place with Elvis is the pattern by which we market rock stars, celebrities to this very day. Look at this stuff. This is all current, right? But this stuff has been around, this ephemera, these souvenirs, that's been around since the 1950s. Lipstick, lunch boxes, and the the chances that Colonel Tom took by putting Elvis everywhere were uh, were good. They were they were good risks. He put him on TV. He put him in the um, in the concert arena, and he made sure people understood that Elvis was was a good guy. In um, 19, I guess it was 1960, 1961, there was. Uh, there was a lack of interest in creating the Pearl Harbor Memorial, and uh, the funding had, had been on the wane for years and years. Well, the Colonel and Elvis set up a series of benefit concerts in Hawaii, and that renewed the interest in building the USS Arizona Monument. And there's a plaque at Graceland that thanks Elvis for his role in helping bring the Arizona up. At Christmas time, Elvis would sit down and write out. 50 checks to 50 different charities in Memphis, Tennessee, and they would each be for $1,000. There's a huge plaque in Graceland. He would never take it off his income taxes. He figured if you took it off your income taxes, then you were getting something back for an act of charity, and he thought that that wasn't right. He, uh, he endeared himself to Americans in a lot of ways, and one of the more interesting things, I think, if you've ever seen any of Elvis's movies, they just weren't that good. <laughs> I mean, that to me is fascinating for a guy who is known as an entertainer across the board. But you could do this. You could watch an Elvis movie, and you could leave in a good mood. It's like an ABBA song. There's nothing bad about an Elvis movie. There's nothing mean or smutty or, or criminal. You know, it's basically 90 minutes of... Elvis singing silly songs and getting the girl of his dreams. And he starred with just about every great-looking actress you could star in a movie with in Hollywood in the 1960s. Hal Wallace said the one guaranteed cinema star in the, this period is Elvis Presley. He was never offered a shot, except later on in his career, as, um, 
as a serious actor. Interestingly, a lot of great movies that came out, you know, feature films, not the bubblegum films that Elvis starred in, those movies were funded by Elvis's bubblegum films. He bankrolled some of the greater efforts in Hollywood with these, uh, with these silly flicks he executed. Elvis died in 1977, the official cause of death is cardiac arrhythmia. And the things that led up to his death, there was, um, there's always the discussion of his diet and then uh, the abuse of pharmaceuticals, that sort of thing. However, if you have ever been to Graceland on um, Elvis, or during your Elvis International Tribute Week or during birthday week, you'll find legions of Elvis fans, not a smattering, not, um, you know, a hundred, a thousand. It's loaded. The streets are packed. They have to shut the streets off in front of the mansion. And it's a huge tribute to a guy who, uh, who died well before, uh, well before his time. One of the last things I wanted to talk about is this, this notion of fame. The mysterious why. I don't know why, but I know this. Not only do we know the name of Elvis's house, but we know stuff about the inside of his house. We know about the jungle room, the TV room, all that sort of thing. I can't think of any other celebrity with the exception of maybe Michael Jackson who we know the name of his house. How many houses are there out there in the United States with that kind of attendance on an annual basis? Graceland is the second most visited residence in the United States. And the first would be... The White House, very good. Any questions? Any anybody want to talk Elvis? Oh, you got a couple of Elvis fans in here. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, I noticed the name Eggleston on the photos here, and I, I maybe I'm mixing names, but isn't he the guy that did the picture of the drop? You know, the high speed shutter. Um, I don't know. Anybody know anything about I Eggleston? Edgerton. Edgerton. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm only familiar with Eggleston's work in the Graceland portfolio, and then he shot. Uh, he shot a really nice catalog of, uh, of Ramsey's uh, uh, related work in the mid-1980s that went, uh, went out on tour with the, with the Ramsey's wow. exhibition. Yeah, a really amazing guy. Is there any kind of irony with some of the pictures of, you know, of the recent year? You know, you were talking about how the home is a home. It's not really a, it's not fancy or it's not as gaudy as I guess that is kind of ironic. Elvis kept returning to, to Graceland over all those years. And, and he had a place in Hollywood. He had a place in, in Hawaii. And he, um, he certainly could afford to stay anywhere he wanted to. But Graceland was the place he chose to make his home. And, and it is kind of humble, although it's on 18 acres. He kept building and building and building onto it. And one of the... One of the more com interesting architectural features is the racquetball court he had put in a, a couple of years before he died, which they use now as an extension to the trophy room. And I'm sorry, I just went off on a completely, and I'll get back in just a second. The racquetball court is a room that's uh, about four times the size of this room and about twice as high. And they have it loaded with all the records that have gone gold since he died. You know, not just, not just, you know, the original gold records. Those are in a hallway, and you look down that hallway, and you go, wow, Elvis sang a lot of songs that went gold, a lot of albums that went gold. The racquetball court is filled with these albums and CDs and cassettes and gold. 
and platinum that have sold since 1977. They're not, uh, they're not given to Elvis Presley. They're given to the estate of Elvis Presley. To get back to your question, I wonder if he would have continued to live there you know, 10 years into the, or, you know, into the 80s, into the 90s. Um, that part of Memphis is not as nice as it was when Elvis lived there. But then again, there's been, you know, Memphis is one of the, uh, it has one of the highest crime rates of any city in the nation. So, you know, there's hardly any part of Memphis. Now, I'm, I'm sad to say that because I'm from Memphis. But it's, uh, it's been torn up by poverty and uh, this sort of thing. And, and so... You know, the part of town that Graceland is in is actually, you know, a bit of a war zone. And uh, that's a sad thing to say. But it would have been interesting to find out, you know, where his next place would have been or if he would have stayed there. Yes, sir. What's the best biography of Elvis? I've read a two-volume. Did you you read the Peter Garalnik two-volume? That's probably the best one out there. There's a lot of... uh, And that's a really great question. I would have to say the two-volume... Peter Garonic biography that begins with um, Mystery Train and then the one that ends with, uh, is that Careless Love? That's probably the best Elvis bio. There's some stuff out there that's it's crazy stuff. And everybody who ever came in contact with Elvis, it seems like, has written an Elvis. I'm thinking about writing one myself. What the heck? Um, his maid, his nurse... The security guards at Graceland, cops, relatives, they've all put out Elvis books. And some of them are one step above a junior high school term paper. They're just awful reading. And, you know, they're typed, run off on a photocopier, folded up. And, you know, they're, they're, they're really pathetic. Then there's some tell-alls out there. Elvis, What Happened came out uh, a few weeks before he died, and, and it's pretty scandalous. And some of the stuff sells just because, the, because of the, the sheer smut quality attached to it. The best scholarly effort is, is definitely Peter Garalnik's two-volume bio. The one that I've been reading recently is Charles Ponce de Leon's Fortunate Son, and it's almost, a, it's almost like a capitalist v. Marxist take on Elvis and what brought Elvis, how Elvis happened in this day and age. And some of the things that, that cultural historians cite uh, are like, uh, one of the interesting things I heard someone say a while back, that's the first generation that has, uh, you know, 1950, 55, 56, that's the first generation of American teenagers who had pocket money. And if you think about it, this stuff doesn't do any good unless you've got an allowance or a job pulling sodas somewhere. And then all of a sudden, you can, uh, you can afford to go see Elvis and you can afford to go buy the knickknacks, the 45s, that sort of thing. Ponce de Leon, I think, Charles Ponce de Leon, uh, 2005, Fortunate Son, uh, Gero Strauss Press, I believe, is uh, that's a pretty good, it's a pretty good book. And it's scholarly and it's not one of these bashing things at all. It's, it's, it's fun and, and uh, it's kind of a neat capitalist perspective of, uh, of Elvis. Hi. What about his estates? I mean, there's still money coming in. And there's a lot of money coming in down there. It's probably funded to do all kinds of things. I think it was two years ago, Lisa Marie sold 
an 80% controlling interest in the management of the... I'm, my facts here are a little bit... Uh, Double-check me on this, but I think there's a guy named Robert Sillerman who operates the estate now. It used to be operated by, I think, three trustees, and then a couple years ago she sold the interest in it, but she still gets some money off of it, and I think she still owns the mansion. I'm not exactly sure how that, how that functions, but... In, you know, if you had to put it succinctly, yeah, there's still a lot of money coming through there. Elvis regularly makes the top of the Forbes list as, as uh, the deceased celebrity who's earning the most bucks. And if he is not at the top of the list, then it's because of something like the death of Michael Jackson this past year. And I'm pretty sure the sales in Michael Jackson's records will continue, but probably not at the same level as the sales of Elvis's records. They, oh man, wouldn't we all like to have a fraction of that kind of money making? That's. Uh, what do they fund? They fund mainly Elvis things. It's a for, it's a for-profit venture. You know, they keep it open, and someone's making money. I'm guessing uh, the management company or Lisa Marie Presley. They're they're making a lot of money off of that stuff. They're making money off of sales to great to get into Graceland. It costs twenty-five or thirty dollars to tour the plane. It's a few more dollars to tour the automobile museum and buy souvenirs. It'd be real easy to get out there, to get out of there dropping, dropping 150, 200 bucks. It'd be real easy. Throw a meal and, and, uh, and parking in there and, and all of a sudden your experience just goes like that. It's like a bottle of wine. You can pay as much for it as you want. But I mean, yeah. not, are they, do they try to, do things, uh, to encourage other things for, for costs? I don't know if they I don't know if they continue any charity work or not. I know uh, Lisa Marie Presley was involved in building a Church of Scientology in, in the city of Memphis. I, th- I want to say that she was she was in on that effort, and I want to say Samuel L. Jackson, but I'm not real sure. You have to look that up as well. But uh, Graceland itself is definitely a for-profit venture. Did you have a question? No, she actually asked the question that I had. <laughs> uh, it's worth it. I mean, it's worth, to me, going through the mansion, it's well worth the price if you're ever in Memphis. It's, pretty, it's a pretty far out experience. You gotta, I mean, the three things that you have to do when you're in Memphis, Tennessee, you've got to go to Graceland, you've got to eat barbecue at the Rendezvous, and you've got to go watch the ducks at the Peabody. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's Memphis, and then I don't know yeah, what you... Really- Schwab's, a Schwab's. Yeah. yeah, my wife has a coffee mug from there. <laughs> Mr. Schwab used to say, "If if uh, if you can't find it here, you don't need it." <laughs> Any other questions? Very good. Thank you all very much for coming out.